Welcome to the Sheer Law Group's podcast of Truth Serum. Law, real estate, and everything else that matters. Sheer Law Group represents lenders, landlords, and investors throughout the state of California, with offices in the San Francisco Bay Area and Orange County, California. Laws change daily. Economic trends change faster than at any time in history. Ignorance is not bliss, and the unwary and unprepared get punished if they fail to keep up. If you want insightful information on issues of interest to the real estate lender, landlord, or investor, you've come to the right place. Add on some colorful commentary on everything else that matters, and you're now ready for Truth Serum with your host, Spencer Shear. Listen for the conclusion of our Interview of America segment and find out what America thinks. Like Lazar from Massachusetts. I would make being an asshole a crime. But first... Faster than the speed of fright. In our legal segment today, we'll be examining news and headlines affecting lenders, landlords, and investors. In my interview segment, I'll be interviewing nationally known economist A. Gary Schilling. Gary's worked for the Fed and on Wall Street. He was twice voted by institutional investor as Wall Street's top economist. Gary Schilling accurately forecasted an extended era of financial deleveraging. Listen to what Gary predicts for both stock and real estate markets. You'll be surprised by what he says. And in our Where is the Love segment, I'll finish my interview of America and find out how everyday Americans would handle issues like election fraud, the death penalty, marijuana use, and traditional marriage if they were President of the United States for one day. But first, the headlines. The law. Strike three, you're out. No, in fact, they're not out yet. The Biden administration has extended the eviction moratorium through October of 2021. Right after this occurred, lawsuits were filed by landlords seeking to overturn it. Previously in June of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court denied an emergency request for a stay by landlords to stop the eviction ban. But they denied the request because the ban was set to expire at the end of July. The Supreme Court signaled that the ban may be unconstitutional, in large part because the ban unlawfully takes property from landlords. Stay tuned. Who needs the bankruptcy court when you have massive stimulus? Despite massive shocks to the economy and record job losses due to the pandemic, bankruptcy filings in the U.S. are plummeting. ABI reported that total commercial bankruptcy filings in July 2021 decreased 62% from the previous year. This is due to stimulus, lender forbearance, and continued low rates. Stay tuned to see how this plays out by the end of the year as stimulus and forbearance wind down and the Delta variant surges. And there is more hidden stimulus. The CFPB's implemented new mortgage servicing rules applicable to residential mortgages. The new rules are effective August 31st, 2021 and allow relaxed standards for loan modifications. In some instances, allowing 40 years to repay accumulated debt. Can I have one? Also, the CFPB issued a revised small entity compliance guideline for mortgage servicers on August 4th, 2021 to assist them in understanding the new rules. You can get that on the CFPB's website. Wake up, landlords, or pay the price. Landlords, beware. In Alameda County, California, a landlord agreed to an out-of-court settlement after advertising a rental unit with the words, No Section 8 Housing. 
It was alleged that the advertisement violated recently enacted SB 329 in California, as well as federal fair housing anti-discrimination laws. If you're interested in this and a more detailed explanation, check out our prior SLG podcast on this subject. In another startling development, SLG offers free legal advice. How did that get in there? Oops, sorry about that. In other news, the United States Bankruptcy Court for the Northern District of California approved the plan of reorganization in the case of professional financial investors. It has now approved the sale of the debtor's assets in September of 2021 that will address losses of over $400 million suffered by real estate investors hurt by a massive Ponzi scheme in Marin County. And the CFPB ain't finished yet. The CFPB has finalized the new Fair Debt Collection Practice Rules, which will take effect on November 30th, 2021. Any debt collector needs to be aware of these or you'll face penalties and possible lawsuits. And don't forget, under the new regulations effective this year, lawyers collecting debts will need to register and become licensed under two California regulatory schemes. But economic news is encouraging, and happy days are here again. Maybe, maybe not. The U.S. job market added over 943,000 jobs in July, according to a report listed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The unemployment rate also dropped in another encouraging sign. However, the following should be noted. The report was issued after the new CDC mask mandate was implemented and doesn't reflect the ramp-up in worries about the Delta variant. Cynics cite a corresponding rise in consumer borrowing during the same period, which they contend allows excess spending, which supports low-wage food and leisure section jobs, which they believe will falter as borrowing slows down. Skeptics cite drop in unemployment as the result of some red states stopping excess federal unemployment benefits, not a strengthening economy. Other skeptics, likely the cousins of the first skeptics I mentioned, cite the Biden administration's extension of student loan payment deferrals until the end of this year as affecting more stimulus that temporarily juices the economy, again supporting low-wage jobs and leisure checks and jobs, but which peter out if the student loan payments resume. Will increased spending from consumer loans, eviction moratoriums, and other actual and hidden stimulus lead to runaway inflation and uncontrolled economic growth? Stay tuned for my interview with Gary Schilling to see what he says on the direction of the economy. Put on your seatbelt, because it may be a wild ride. Laws and Real Estate. All right, Gary, let me give my listeners some background on who you are. You've previously worked for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and you worked for Merrill Lynch on Wall Street. You regularly appear in publications such as Forbes, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and you've twice been voted by institutional investors as Wall Street's top economist. You now head up your own company, and you're the president of A. Gary Schilling & Company, which issues a monthly publication called Insight. You've accurately forecasted an extended era of financial deleveraging. You've accurately predicted financial trends before they occurred, including in June of 2012, when you predicted a 20% drop in housing prices along with the resultant global recession. I read Insight for over 15 years, and it's been a phenomenal and timely resource for me and really for anyone who's interested in financial trends, especially stocks and real estate. Welcome, Gary Schilling. Thanks a lot. Glad to be with you. Thank you. All right, let me ask you a question. The battle's now raging between those, the many who predict inflation, even runaway inflation, and the few who predict deflation in the coming months. Who wins this argument and why? 
Well, first of all, the, the big concern about inflation has, has abated. If you look just in the last couple of weeks, earlier there was a lot of concern that, that reopening the economy and getting labor reoriented was going to lead to a big wave of inflation. But I think it's proving to be a temporary phenomenon. Yes, there were disruptions with bottlenecks, reopening the economy. Uh, a lot of employees were, were paid, 42% were paid more to stay home than they were to work with the enhanced unemployment benefits and so on. But those things are, are passing. And I think if you look at if you look at the rally in treasury bonds, and as you know, I've been a fan of the long-term 30-year treasury bonds since the early 80s. Back then, I said we're entering the bond rally of a lifetime. The yield on the 30-year treasury was 14.6%. Now it's less than 2%. And over that time, those treasury bonds have outperformed, outperformed the S&P 500 by six times, six times. It's been a great winner for us. Maybe I'm reflecting bias because I still think we have lower interest rates. But the point is, there's a very high correlation between inflation and, and interest rates and the rally we've had lately uh, in treasuries, uh, among other things, I think tells you that this inflation scare is is pretty uh, is pretty brief. Uh, and 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 I continue to believe we're in a world of deflation. And a principal ingredient is a tremendous productive productive capability of of Asia, China, and now increasingly other countries like Vietnam, Thailand, Bangladesh, and of course the 800-pound gorilla in the room eventually is India. But they're big producers, but very par parsimonious consumers. There's a savings glut. There's more supply than demand. And when you have more supply than demand, what happens to prices? They go down. So I think that's a very strong deflationary force, among others. Good. So if there's going to be deflation, is it going to be like the Great Recession or is it going to be more severe? Uh, I, you know, there's a recession out there waiting for us in the underbrush somewhere. And, and I've had a pretty good track record over a lot of decades in forecasting recessions. Um, I have not, I, I don't see anything right now that says that we're, we're headed for one. Uh, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with the, with the Delta strain of, of, the, of the COVID uh, virus. Um, and I think there was a lot of, a lot of feeling that we were going to suddenly reopen the economy and it was, everything was just standing. You know, the thing about all of us as Americans, we believe in projects like World War II. That was a project. You go in, you fight the war, you get it over and you go home. Well, the Russians didn't want to go home. <laughs> and, and we had the same thing in Vietnam. And I, I use those analogies because I think there was a feeling that, uh, that, that this was going to be all over when the vaccinations uh, were, were widespread, the vaccines. Uh, and now we're learning that that's not the case, that this thing is, is, is going to linger. So, yeah, I think there's I think we're probably going to see slower growth uh, as a result of this. And also consumers who simply have not been spending all the stimulus money that's been pumped out March a year ago, December last year, March of this year. Matter of fact, they've 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 spent less and less. The first round, they they only spent 29 uh, percent. The second round, 26 percent. The third round, 25 percent. They're saving the rest, using it to rebuild assets and and reduce debts. So you don't have a strong consumer push and you do have the renewed uh, Delta virus. So I think slow growth is, is, is probably the best, the best forecast, maybe GDP going back to you know, two, 3% annual rates of growth.
I was looking at your June 2021 insight and you predict the demise of the single family housing bubble. You still stand by this prediction? Yeah, uh, we've had a we've, we've had a bubble. Now, this is nothing like the subprime bonanza uh, <clears throat> that we had uh, uh, in, in the mid 2000s, you know, when people could could borrow more than 100 percent on houses that were way overpraised and and they were told they never have to make a a monthly payment because they could refinance it. Prices were going up for forever. They could take money out. I mean, that was that was that was really wild. Uh, lending standards are a lot tighter now, but there has been a big rush into housing, particularly single-family housing in the suburbs and rural areas as people want to get out of cramped, expensive, big city apartments. So that's uh, that that phenomenon. I think has pushed up prices. You also have had reluctance on the part of developers some constraints in land and building codes and so on. But a lot of, for a lot of it, you know, the ones who really got burned with the subprime mortgage collapse, they're out of business and the rest of them were chastened by that. So you have not had a, a huge increase in supply. Now supply eventually will catch up with demand. It always, always does. But I think in the meanwhile, you've had this big rush into, into housing. But if you look at the, if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, new building permits, some of the leading indicators, they're beginning to look a little a little weaker. So I think the bloom is off the rose in, in that big housing bubble. You think uh, by fall or ne- into next year? Uh, boy, <laughs> you know, forecasting is difficult, particularly forecasting the future. Uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that we're probably within the next couple of months. The indicators have been accumulating and I rather suspect in the next couple of months we're going to see uh, we're going to see decided softness. Now the question is, does that turn into a rout? All right. So let me let me tie one thing we just talked about. Let's say uh, Treasury bond yields continue to go down. Let's say mortgage rates continue to go down. Won't that spur another feeding frenzy for people going out and buying more real estate? Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. There's no question that that uh, uh, a, a big driver of of real estate is is the financing costs. Real estate is very heavily leveraged, whether it's somebody who say have an FHA uh, loan for a single family house, they put down 3%, they're borrowing 97%. I mean, that's a greater leverage than than even uh, even Lehman. When Lehman went out, they had their leverage was 20 was was 20 to one. This is even higher le- leverage. Uh, so it, it is very, it is very leveraged, but um, you know, there's also the idea of, of stability that people tend to stay stay with housing. But yeah, I think uh, I think further declines in in interest rates and mortgage rates are do provide some support for housing. Now that, and that's one of the reasons I don't expect a, a complete collapse. But still, there's been speculation, and you can blow the you can blow the the foam off the off the top of the beer without without having all the beer drain out through the bottom. Good, well said. All right, again, back to treasury rates. Uh, you predict a continued treasury rate rally, and that's amazing. I, I would say back, I used to work for what they used to call savings and loans. I do remember the- uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a crisis there. There was a crisis. Well. I, I remember you, you you could get really, I think you were saying 13 14% on, uh, on uh, T-bills. It was amazing. But how far, how, how low can they go? Well, uh, we, we uh, I've suggested in our monthly newsletter insight that you cited 
that we could go back to uh, the lows that we saw in February a year ago. Now that was a sort of a panicked low when the when the virus was very very scary. But on a, on a on a thirty year bond, we got down to I think a yield of ninety five basis points. It's it's about two percent now. And on the ten year, uh, which I think fifty one basis points. Uh, so you could see further further rally. And of course, my interest in bonds as an investor has never been the yield. I couldn't care less what the yield is as long as it's going down. Because if a yield's going down, the price is going up. And I've 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 always bought bonds for my my portfolios, my family foundation, my kids, my wife, and we manage money for outside uh, investors. I've always bought them for appreciation, not for not for yield. And people say, oh, I don't get any yield. Well, uh, there's something called a convexity. If you have a 100 basis point decline in a 30 year uh, zero coupon bond, uh, you'll make you'll make uh, you'll make about 20 percent on your money. Yeah, I remember you saying in, in your letters that they were in the bond rally of a lifetime. I wish I had the, the fortitude and faith to have kept the, those uh, T-bills way back when. Well, I've had, I've had a number of people who have said that over the years. Some of them said, I thought you were nuts, but I took a flyer. And some say, I, I wish I had. But, you know, that's, that's uh, if you want to add value in, in, in this business that I'm in, trying to forecast and forecast things that are useful for investors, uh, you have to see beyond the ephemeral developments. You got to see beyond the the noise, if you will, the media noise of today. You got to look at the longer term forces. And again, um, inflation, the correlation between Treasury bonds and inflation is sixty percent. If you're right on if you're right on uh, inflation, you're going to be you got a big leg up on on uh, on Treasury yields and and. Uh, you know, and that's amazing when you think of all the other things that could affect treasury yields besides inflation. You know, what's happening to fiscal policy, all the antics in Washington, what consumers are doing and so on. But it, it, they either don't count or they're all subsumed within the, uh, within the, uh, within the uh, uh, inflation. Uh, but that's, that's the key factor. And, and that's, that's, that really was what led to my forecast you cited back in 1980, when I said we're entering a bond rally of a lifetime, it was, really, it was the assumption that, that uh, inflation, which had been raging in the late 60s and into the 70s, that was a time when you had excess spending. It was, it was excess demand as opposed to supply. We had uh, Vietnam and great society spending on top of a fully employed economy. They have more, more demand than supply. What happens? Prices go up. And that's inflation. And I think now... Uh, as I mentioned, with Asia being a big supplier and a very weak spender, it's quite the opposite. Back to the future. Uh, what do you think the stock market at the end of the year, higher or lower? Oh, gosh. Um, I think probably lower. I'm not sure there's a complete collapse, but we have had a lot of speculation. Uh, stocks are expensive. You look at uh, you look at the cyclically adjusted uh, price earnings ratio, which is you, as you know, it's done over 10 years to iron out cyclical fluctuations, looks at real earnings. I mean, that would take now that would take a 45 percent decline in prices to bring it back to its long term average, for example. Um, you look at the speculation that we've seen in um, in uh, in SPACs. And of course, you get the uh, you get the, the bitcoins of the world and the AMCs and Robinhood and all this kind of stuff. I mean, these, these are signs of speculation. 
And those are the uh, those are the limbs and outward flourishes, as Polonius said in Shakespeare. Those aren't the guts of the economy. And when you see that kind of speculation, you, you figure it's going to come to grief, and it and it tends to affect the, the whole stock market. So my my feeling is that we will see lower stock prices before the end of the year. It doesn't mean they can't go higher in the meanwhile, but I think they probably will be lower. You, know, you, you mentioned crypto. Let's switch to that just for a quick second, uh, which to me, crypto is really just uh, it's the use of blockchain technology. Uh, many people view cryptocurrency as the future of money, replacing fiat currency. Others believe that governments will never allow crypto to e- eclipse their hegemony over the financial system. And they'll issue their own cryptocurrencies like China just did. What do you think? Well, I, I don't. I think the real determiner is going to be the is going to be the markets. And if you look at the, uh, I did a report on this uh, oh a couple of years ago when they when <clears throat> when uh, they first came to the fore and Bitcoin was raging for the first time. Uh, but if you look at what what does it take to make a a, a currency? Uh, well, you have to have stability. You have to kind of thing if you go in and uh, to gas station, and you got a pretty good idea what the price is going to be, and it isn't going to be up 50% one day and down 50% the next day. You have to have stability. You have to have easy transfer, uh, and uh, it's 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 expensive to transfer these things. It, and you look at today's uh, technology, and you can transfer huge sums of money at virtually no cost, and these are expensive. You also have the, the secrecy aspect, and I'm always suspicious with things that are clouded in, in secrecy. Now, they say there's only so many of these out there and these guys, these miners with their big computers, you know, they're putting them up in Alberta, Canada, where energy is cheap with all the with all the oil up there because uh, they want to they want to mine more uh, more bitcoins. But uh, it's it's I, 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 I just I just think that it, it just doesn't fit the characteristics of a currency. And the only legitimate use for these things is off the off the off the book kind of things, you know, like um, who was this uh, Connell, the, the utility that ended up paying a huge ransom in, in Bitcoin. Uh, and, and of course, the regulators are really looking at this with a jaundiced eye. Um, and I, th- I, I think not only because they they don't want anybody horning in on their territory of currency, but let's say I don't really think that's a, a threat, but they are concerned about this being a wild speculation that sucks a lot of people in and then you got a lot of blood on the floor and exposed they say why weren't the regulators there protecting me you know that's the usual course of events yeah and and one more uh, kev is god forbid if you lose your password to your bitcoin right i'm sorry i said god forbid if you lose the password to your bitcoin oh yeah oh sure oh sure oh, yeah sure. one one digression on, the, on this question just because i'm interested in this just philosophically is that i uh, I see blockchain. Blockchain gives you the ability to trace every financial transaction and, and all through, you know, where, where money, you can hand somebody a $20 bill and no one knows where it came from or where it's going. Isn't that a, a danger and a likely use of, of blockchain technology by, by governments? Because not necessarily because because uh, you're saying you need to have the control and stability, but won't that give governments more control and more, uh, more control over financial transactions? Well, yeah, it could. And, and, you know, I think there is a distinction between blockchain and Bitcoin. I mean, blockchain, I think, does have legitimate uses. But uh, the whole idea of of the, the whole financial transactions moving outside of 
government influence, if not control, uh, circles is is always of concern. And, and you know that that's what happens with a lot of speculations. They they simply they simply leave the realm of possibility, and it's always leverage. Leverage is financial leverage is uh, it, it's important, but it is always the downfall of of any of these big speculations. And I think that's probably uh, particularly true with with some of the cryptocurrencies. All right, last question. You've been patient. I appreciate that. You're a beekeeper. I am. You send your subscribers like me honey every year. I always appreciate that. It adds a personal touch to what you do. We do. We do. What's the greatest lesson that the bees have taught you? <laughs> to respect the bees and, and really keep bees in a cooperative uh, spirit with the bees. Uh, bees have been around for millions of years and and uh, we're not going to change their behavior, uh, but it's really a matter of saying how can we, how can we in effect cooperate with them? Now they don't know we're cooperating with them, but you know we we put them in hives. We have ways of of collecting the honey now. Um, we have to treat a lot of maladies, a lot of of, uh, of diseases and pests and so on. So there's an awful lot of this stuff that's 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 going on, uh, but. Um, uh, but I say that I say the biggest lesson is, is uh, you know, it's sort of like they say, don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the bees. Figure out how you can cooperate with them. Good point. All right, Gary, how can people follow you and get your advice? Well, uh, you can go to our website, uh, which is www.agarishoni.com. Um, they can um, they can uh, send us an email uh, if somebody's interested in our uh, monthly publication insight. We'll send them a complimentary copy. Uh, just uh, let us know, and uh, we'd be happy to send one off. And you can see for yourself whether it's for you. This is not a this is not a uh, a tip sheet. We're we're not stock pickers. We're looking at the kind of things we've been discussing today. Some of the big macro themes that affect the economy, and certainly do affect investments. But this is uh, this is not a tip sheet for what's what stocks are going to do today or tomorrow. Good. Well said. I want to thank you for your time. I enjoy talking to you. I always enjoy reading insight. Thank you. Well, I thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Everything else that matters. Join me in this second interview segment as I interview America to find out the direction of this country and what matters to some and to most. I ask the simple question, if you were President of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? While the opinions seem to change the farther north I went, you'll be surprised at the answers and the hopes and dreams and the fears expressed by many Americans. Immigration is a huge issue to many Americans. Solutions to the problem range from closing the borders to letting more in to reforming the process. Not surprising, some from other countries have a very different perspective on U.S. immigration. Gigi. What state are you from? Wisconsin. And Gigi, if you were President of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? Close the borders. Jim Robinson, Ohio. 
I would close the borders. What's your name? My name is Peggy. Peggy, and what state are you from? New Jersey. Great. And Peggy, if you were president of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? I think that we need to fix our immigration policy. How would you fix it? Well, I think that there's a, um, a better way to allow people to come to this country. I think that it would be a better way for people who are trying to seek refuge here, but also for Americans who are working hard. So would, they would have to go through normal standards as opposed to just getting in and fixing it up afterwards? Correct. Okay. Chris. Virginia would build the wall. And what would the wall do? It would um, secure the borders and, um, and allow a good process for immigration. Good. Thank you. I'm Victor Lugano. I work at Marriott in Georgia. Well, since I was actually born outside of the country, and I've seen the different growing up from a different point of view. When I came to America, that was the mostly, mostly main thing uh, in uh, was the blender of opportunity. It still is, but I've learned that people, once you come here, you get comfortable, and that comfortable is what makes it or breaks you pretty much. Uh, but is, is it still that lender of opportunity? It is, but people become more lenient of easy things, I guess that makes sense, than actually working for something that makes sense. I got you. Thanks, Victor. Appreciate it. What's your name? Sandra. And where are you from, Sandra? I'm from Mexico City. I'd work on immigration laws. And what would you do to make them better or worse or whatever? Um, I would work on creating something that would, um, a statement that would help uh, people from different countries come into this country in a fair way and be treated fairly. I appreciate that. Thank you. The 2020 election is still not over for some, and there's a big divide on policies. Many want the Dems gone, but some still want Trump to pay. Hello, my name is Jesus. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, if I was president, I would change the House. I would change Nancy Pelosi, the House, the Senate, and pretty much the whole Democratic Party. What's your name? John W. Phillips. And where are you from, John? Alabama. I'd fart Biden, Kamala Harris, Chuck Schumer, and elect Trump again because they stole the election from us. Well, you could only do one thing, though, but I got oh. If you had the first I'm thing sorry. or the second one, what would you do? Second. Second was to put Trump Fart Kamala Harris. Okay, I got you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Zang. Zang, what state are you from? I'm from Kentucky. Zang, if you were president of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? Drain the swamp. And by, All of them. In the swamp in Washington. Washington, D.C. needs to go bye-bye. Okay, what would take its place? Do you have any suggestions? Give it back to the people. My name is Maria Simon. I'm from Venezuela. If you're in the United States and you could be president of the United States for one day and do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? I'm American. I would love to stop the lies. The truth is very important. The Constitution is very important. We Americans are not stupid. The GOP have to stop. Okay, when you say the lies, what lies would you stop? That the insurrection that happened on January... We're from Washington. We live in Washington, D.C. We all watch with our eyes, and eyes don't lie. We know that was an insurrection, and the head of the insurrection is Mr. Trump and he should be paying for that. Unacceptable. That's what I would do if I'm a president. Thank you. Even when someone's primary issue was wage equality, she still couldn't help herself from backtracking to the election. What's your name? Teddy. 
And where are you from? Miami. Okay, and if Teddy, if you were president of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? Equalize wages for all positions. Anything else you want to add to that? Election wasn't stolen. <laughs> Thank you. Marijuana gets a lot of attention by young and old, with people touting the chill factor and medical benefits, and some wanting decriminalization, even the release of those incarcerated on marijuana charges, and believe it or not, maybe even the release of Yankees fans. My name is Cassie. I'm from New Jersey. Good. And if you're president of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? I would have everyone try to smoke marijuana because then everybody would be nicer to each other. My name's Samuel Kirtley, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Legalized marijuana. Would you do it for all of the whole country? Yes. Thank you. Yep, no problem. What's your name? Karen. Karen, what state are you from? Pennsylvania. Legalized marijuana nationally, mainly for health care reasons. And uh, do you have any special reason for that? Yes, I am the mother of a son with Crohn's disease and one with autism, and I've seen the effects of this wonderful plant-based remedy that is not chemicals that hurt your body. Thank you. What's your name? Anthony Particero. Okay, Anthony, where are you from? Massachusetts. I would free all people that are convicted of marijuana charges over five years. And what if they're convicted for marijuana and, let's say, they were rooting for the Yankees? Still let them go? Yeah. <laughs> Just checking. Thank you. What's your name? Hi. Legalized cannabis. And I appreciate that. Why would that make the country better? Uh, just for like um, social equity purposes, also bring tax revenue into all these states. There's a huge deficit. We've been printing money all year, so it's a good way to get some tax income. Appreciate that. Thank you. One musician in Nashville just had to sing out his frustration and appears to need more than just marijuana to chill. Vets get a lot of well-deserved love. What's your name? My name's Brian. Okay, where are you from, Brian? Litchfield Park, Arizona. Great. And Brian, if you were President of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would that be? I would ensure all of our veterans are taken care of. Good. How would you do that? Uh, I would help them with, with the suicide prevention and ensure that they all get the benefits and care that they need. Good. Are you a veteran? I am a veteran. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Okay, what's your name? Ashley. Ashley, where are you from? Kentucky. Make sure all our veterans are taken care of and all the children are fed. Thank you. Shelly. Shelly, what state are you from? Ohio. I take better care of our veterans and the elderly. Thank you. Our constitutional framework gets a workout as some want to strengthen our constitutional republic while others clamor for easier voting access and abolition of the electoral college to allow the people to speak. Steve. And Steve, where are you from? Uh, Westminster, Maryland. I'd make it mandatory that they teach that our country is a republic and not a democracy. Okay, what's your name? Ron Jocks. And where are you from, Ron? New Hampshire. And Ron, if you were President of the United States for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? Get rid of the Electoral College. Why would that make it better? Because then people would be elected by popular vote as opposed to the Electoral College. 
Thank you. Of course, some people have just given up hope or just want to chill and spend a day in the White House. What's your name? Pat Ishmael. Okay, and what state are you from? Kentucky. I would quit because you can't make it better. Why not? It's too far gone. What's your name? Corey. And where are you from, Corey? I'm from Kentucky. I'd probably have a beer in the Oval Office, to be honest with you. Very good. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. No problem. Affordable child care and extended medical leave for birthing mothers was a concern to some. What's your name? Martha Caraggio. And Martha, where are you from? Austin, Texas. I would implement better laws for women postpartum and give them a longer leave because mothers who are well taken care of create better children and better children means a better future for the rest of us. Now, I appreciate that. Now, say as a little aside, I'm an employer and I always want my employees back there, but you're right. Better for the country long term, right? Exactly. Thank you. What's your name? My name's Leslie Petty. Okay, where are you from, Leslie? Memphis, Tennessee. Great. I would offer child care to everyone free of charge. High quality child care, and I would pay the folks who work there like professionals. Thank you. Appreciate it. And guns, the death penalty, and road rage had a run of opinions as well. What's your name? Mark Weiner. Mark, and where are you from? From Massachusetts. Probably get rid of the uh, death penalty. One follow-up question, because I like this. Do you ever have road rage? Do I have road rage? Never. Ne no, really? I, no, never. never, never <laughs> experienced back. road rage He's in my very life. I, a, no, I have no road rage. Because that is the place where people want justice the most, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool and calm on the roads. Very good. Thank you. What's your name? Brianna. Brianna, what state are you from? I'm from New Jersey. Personally, I would take away um, all the guns from the police departments and have a special squad unit for that. And what happens if it, if it turns out that there were more guns for, say, that criminals had than the people in the special squad unit? Would you arm the public again or no? Um, no. In other countries, uh, England and, and certain other countries, they take away the guns from the police, and there's little to no inter, like, civilian gun action at all. So. All right, one more question. So is it, is it the guns or the people that cause the crimes? It's people. You can't use a gun without people. So if you took away all the guns, would bad people still have them? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not stopping that. It's just, it makes it a lot harder. Great. Thank you. Socialism made its appearance with some wanting a three-day work week, others wanting everyone to be paid the same, and one child from Massachusetts declaring that everything should be free. My name's George. I'm from New Jersey. I'd implement the four-day work week. Why? Uh, because then you'd have more free time give more free time to actually do something you enjoy instead of getting tied up at work. And you, President George, since you have one extra day to do something free time, what would you do? <laughs> uh, then I would chop it down to a three-day work week. <laughs> Thank you. You got it. My name is Javier, Virginia. Give equal pay to everyone. Okay, and I appreciate the concept, but how would you do that? Um, I would go from top to bottom, like even the Senate, everyone. Equal pay. What's your name? Evie. Evie, what state are you from? Massachusetts. And Evie, if you were president of the United States, and I can see this as a possibility for one day and could do one thing to make this country better, what would you do? Make everything free. Very, very good. Thank you. One person thought enough's enough. It's time to remove enhanced unemployment benefits and get the people back to work. Ellery, Vermont. End unemployment. How would you do that? I just cancel it completely. Talk about unemployment benefits. Yes. Why would you do that? So people go back to work, so everybody has help. Thank you. 
Some see the need for forced equality and an end to racism. One thought that racism is a contrived concept used to manipulate people. Okay, my name is Sabrina. I am from Rome, from Italy. Just to make, um, uh, you know, gender, race, everything the same, like uh, equality. Is it a matter of law or a matter of heart? I think for both. I think that people, we have to love each other a little bit more, respect each other a little bit more. I believe in God, and I think for God, everybody is the same. Thank you, Sabrina. Alicia, and I live in Georgia. I would change the ways of equality with men, women, everyone. Is everybody always equal, or is it just a matter no, you want? we're not equal, and we should be. Okay, and if there's one thing you could do to help make people more equal, would it be by the law or by their heart? By the law, and it should be by the hearts, but if we got to make it a law, then that's the way it's going to be. Good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sharon. Okay, what state are you from, Sharon? I'm Maryland. I would absolutely try to make sure that everybody understood that there is no racism. Everybody puts their pants on the same way. This is being conjured up by people. Perhaps Lazar of Massachusetts had the best concept, although crudely put and hard to enforce. Uh, Lazar Grovich, Massachusetts. Okay. I would make being an asshole a crime. And how would you determine who the assholes are? That I don't know. You can usually tell. So it's a matter, you just figure it out and then you stop them. Yeah, yes. Yep, 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 right. Pretty much. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed my interview of America. I sure did. I think we all want hope that we're not heading for the abyss, over the cliff, to the end of America. But it took a question like, what would you do if president to remove initially the suspicion, the knee-jerk partisanship, and the blame that we often cast on each other whenever controversial issues are raised? Focusing on our individual responsibility to affect positive change while still allowing free speech and honest dialogue to discuss both what unites us and divides us, to me that's a key factor to help heal this nation. The answers I received gave me hope, but it's a slim hope and I don't think there's much time. If we fail to see the greater good of an America that's united under every race, color, and creed, united under God, and instead let others manipulate and destroy this nation for personal, corporate, and selfish ends for their own power, dividing us and destroying the heritage that built this nation, I think we'll all be much worse for that. We'll end up in an America that we don't know. However, think about it. If you're a president of the United States for one day, if you're a school board member, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a citizen of this country, and you are, what can you do to make America a better place? Safeguarding the rights guaranteed to all under the Constitution. Upholding the rule of law. Teaching our children the good and great things about this country so we can preserve them and rooting for all teams New England. These are all good places to start.
Thank you for listening to Sheer Law Group's podcast, Truth Serum, law, real estate, and everything else that matters. For more on the law, go to www.shearlawgroup.com or contact Spencer or Joshua Shear. For more info on real estate, see your real estate broker or agent. Don't forget to mow your lawn, trim your hedges, and pay your mortgage. For more information on everything else that matters, read good books, cultivate good friends that you can share ideas with, pray often, and do not place your hopes in governmental institutions. Write Spencer Shear if you want to argue the points made in this podcast. Finally, this podcast cannot be relied on as legal advice, and SLG disclaims any responsibility for the ideas presented. See an attorney if you have issues or problems related to the subjects mentioned in this podcast. Adios, amigos.